Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck, a medallia company, and the Success League. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer a certification program for CSMs and coaching for customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. This episode is all about churn, and we're going to focus on how we categorize it, often incorrectly. Chris Hicken is the CEO of NuffSaid, and he's joining me today to share his approach to developing churn categories that are actually actionable. So just to throw down the gauntlet at the beginning of this episode, you're here to tell us that lack of adoption isn't a churn reason, and I'm excited to hear your perspective on that. Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Kristen. It's an honor to join you today. So tell me a little bit about your career path and how you ended up in the field of customer success. Well, my career has been about customer obsession and customer experience. So it started at a a very tech savvy online retailer called headsets.com where, you know, in an increasingly competitive world, we, we differentiated from everyone else, including Amazon on the basis of customer experience. So I'll give you an example. We, uh, we asked every customer to rate the quality of their experience after ordering with us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with one uh, being poor and five being excellent. And then we measured how many customers gave us a, a five versus anything else as a ratio. Mm-hmm. So there, there would be weeks and months where we, w- we would end up with a 40 to one ratio. So in other words, 40 people rated us and ex- gave us an excellent experience, uh, you know, uh, for every one person who gave us less than a five. And so to put that into terms of wow. what we use today, that would be the NPS equivalent of like a 96 to a 98. So we were yeah. quite exceptional. <laughs> in our, yeah, we were really killing it. And <laughs> a, another one of our mantras was to always be, uh, another, another one of our mantras to always be obsessing about the customer was to uh, go through the the buying experience through the eyes of our customers. And so we had a secret shopper program we also did monthly user testing as a core part of running our business. And that led to a deep understanding of our customers, how they expected to buy, and, and frankly, how that changed over the time that I was there. And it's changed pretty significantly. And then, of course, a never ending stream of improvements that we could make to improve the quality of the experience that we delivered. And in fact, I did so much usability testing at headsets.com that I became <laughs> one of usertesting.com's biggest customers. And of course, that opened the door. For me, for me to join early as the president and COO there. Mm-hmm. And the co-founders, Daryl Benatar and Dave Garr, you know, really both exceptional product visionaries. And my interests were more around, and my experience were more around go-to-market. So I led and built uh, marketing, sales, customer success, and services. And not surprisingly, we, we started by building out a world-class customer support team, followed by a world-class customer success team. And as a company, we, we obsessed, you know, the whole mission of the company was about helping our customers create the best possible experiences for their customers. And I just want to pause for a second and just uh, 
give user testing a huge kudos. They just raised $100 million for, uh, led by Insight Venture Partners. Uh, yep, the company, <laughs> the company is on an absolute rampage. They're destined for great things, so kudos team. And now I've moved on to the third chapter in my career at Nuff Said, where I'm one of three co-founders and the CEO. Can you share a little bit more about the mission of Nufsed and how your organization approaches customer success internally? Sure. So at the, you know at the at the highest level, so the, the mission statement of the company is centralize the world work the world's work apps and prioritize work that matters. So what we're actually but the product itself is an AI powered brain for knowledge workers that will focus you on the work that matters for your job. So this this brain this AI powered brain will understand who you are at work, what your goals are, how you're measured, and then it will in real time process and synthesize all of the, the data that you live in in your normal work life. And based on my work history, I suppose it's no surprise that the, that the first brain that we're building is for the customer success team. A team that I, I think, or at least I've experienced, is generally undervalued in the organization, but has the mm -hmm. potential to have the biggest impact on the company's long-term success. So that's the that's what the that's what the product is, and we could, if we wanted to, we can go into more detail about that later. Um, you know, as a company, we're early stage. We just raised mm -hmm. our seed round um, from General Catalyst, Google, and Global Founders Capital. Mm -hmm. um, we hired our head of customer success before we hired our head of head of sales. So I think we're starting off with the yeah. right kind of customer obsessed mindset. That's great. And the way that we think about success internally and how we're going to up-level our understanding of customer churn is we kind of have a fr framework of five levels that we expect to go through as we mature. Level number one is starting with unstructured customer feedback and usage data, followed by summarized customer feedback and usage data. And by the way, I think mm -hmm. most companies are kind of there at level two. Mm -hmm. Level three is uh, a comprehensive renewal framework with early and lagging churn risk indicators. Mm -hmm. Level four takes it a step further and, and comes up with high, medium, and low risk scenarios for each churn risk indicator. And then level five is automated, you know, in, in an automated way, risk reduction tasks and alerts for the CSMs, their managers, and then directors of the, of the company. Okay. So, so that's the process that we have written down that we plan to go through as we mature and level up our, our understanding of churn. Got it. Well, so as I mentioned at the beginning, today we're going to talk about churn categories specifically. Uh, tell me why you think that having the right churn categories matters. Yes, uh, good question. So the right churn categories are actionable and the impact is measurable within 30 days. Okay. And I would argue that most churn reasons provided by success leaders today are the wrong categories because they're not actionable. So the, the one that you mentioned at the beginning is lack of adoption. So mm -hmm. you, know, you know what actually happens today is the success leader looks at their list of initiatives that they have planned for the upcoming quarter, including things like, some examples might be mapping the customer journey or overhauling onboarding or putting in place a better QBR process. And they think to themselves, oh, of course, uh, we'll increase product adoption if we do these things well. Um, and while it might be true that they will overall increase the quality of the experience that's delivered, they won't be able to measure the impact of their work for a very long time. It might show up in usage data later, it might show up in NPS later. Mm -hmm. um, 
and but the and the actual re, the actual underlying reason for churn won't have been addressed. And so that's why it's important to to start with categories that are actionable. You can take action in the upcoming quarter, mm -hmm. and that the and that action is measurable within 30 days. So I think that's the first reason. And the second one is um, success leaders have lost credibility and they continue to lose credibility when they report the same churn reasons every quarter. So, um, you know, the, the executive team is looking to the success leader to have, you know, of all the executives on the team, they're, they, they want the success leader to have the deepest understanding of the customer. Right. And so when the success leader isn't providing a constant stream of new insights, the other members of the exec team stop relying on their success partner to help them drive improvements in their own, their own department. And I think the result that we're seeing from that is uh, the success leader oftentimes doesn't have a seat at the executive table, um, or if they do have a seat, uh, most certainly their peers in sales, product, and engineering are much more highly valued. Yeah. So this is a way for customer success leaders to prove their value. Really? Uh, uh, absolutely. It's, it's a way for yeah. to pr prove value by uh, helping their peers Mm -hmm. take actions to improve their departments and run their business, their, their own departments and their own businesses more efficiently. Yeah. So as we were prepping for the interview, you mentioned that there's five big churn reasons that you hear a lot that really aren't very actionable. Can you share the list with us? Sure. So reason number one is lack of adoption. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that one a lot. <laughs> yep. The yeah. second one is something like loss of budget. Yeah. Or, you know, so there's kind of, there's a, two or three reasons. That one's reasons a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my champion left the company. Uh-huh. The product was oversold. Yep. Oh, it's the sales team's fault. <laughs> right. Sales team's fault. <laughs> and uh, we have we have bad onboarding. It needs Onboarding needs to be overhauled. Yep. Okay. We're going to dig into each of these. So why don't we start with the biggie? And you kind of started to talk about it, but let's continue. Um, lack of adoption is on almost every churn list that I see. Uh, why do you consider that one inactionable and what would you recommend that people do instead? Well, just as a, a general rule, I think um, product usage is a binary indicator of churn risk. So if the customer is not using the product at all, obviously you have a churn problem. Mm -hmm. But if the customer is using the product, it that might, you know, who knows whether or not they're going to renew. Certainly high, high usage is not all, is not frequently not an ind indicator of renewal. Yeah. And so a lot of times the way that customer success leaders respond to this is, you know, I think kind of the four biggest um, campaigns or initiatives that they initiate are one, doing more training. Uh, and this could be done either within customer success or within professional services, mm -hmm. uh, overhauling the onboarding program, uh, decreasing time to value. That's something that you hear about a lot. And then another one in, in some types of companies is uh, companies look for the magic usage number. So, you know, what's what, whatever Facebook's is, uh, uh, seven friends in the first 24. I, I, I don't know. I remember, but there's there's <laughs> yeah, some magic number. Yeah. Where once, once you cross that threshold, suddenly, magically, your renewal rate will go up. Um, and so uh, um, the, the, the problem with saying lack of adoption as the as the problem is that there isn't a, a uh, the success leader doesn't actually know what action they need to take next to mm -hmm. increase adoption. So, um, for example, 
maybe the reason why the customer hasn't adopted the product is because the customer hasn't integrated all of the systems required to enable the use of the product. Or maybe the product doesn't have all the features that are necessary for the customer to solve the problem. Or maybe the customer doesn't have the functional skill set necessary to use the product. So maybe the, the user of the product um, doesn't have the functional skills necessary to, to, to extract value. So maybe you sold you know, a marketing product to someone in uh, mm -hmm. marketing ops or into sales ops. Um, Maybe the customer needs help, more help incorporating the product into their existing workflow. So, for example, um, you know, the customer has a very complex uh, process that they use to, you know, roll out a new product, for example, mm -hmm. and uh, either they're too junior or the process is too complicated for them to figure out how and when to change the existing process. So they need help figuring out how to do that. How do you incorporate the product into the existing workflow? And then finally, you know, another reason why lack of adoption might come up is because the customer uh, purchased the product, but they, their expectation was intermittent usage. So they didn't, they never planned to use the product yeah. frequently. And so those, those would be real reasons for uh, leading to, to lack of adoption. And you would, you know, one of the reasons why I don't like product adoption, lack of adoption as a churn reason is um, it's not identifying the true underlying reason for that lack of adoption. And I think with a little bit of extra effort, success teams and leaders can really, really understand the true reason why uh, why that customer uh, never started using the product in the first place or didn't or they don't use it very frequently. Yeah, and it's really just one or two extra questions to ask to get it, there, I think. It really is. And it's it's something that can happen right after onboarding. It can uh -huh. happen again, kind of mid uh, midway through the relationship, kind of mid-year. You could even ask it again three months before uh, the renewal cycle begins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and getting down to the why, I think, is so important. Yes, and, and sometimes it's sometimes it's qualitative. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just the way a customer feels about the product, mm -hmm. um, which is equally valuable for the team and the company to know and understand. Yeah. Okay, another one that um, you mentioned is lack of budget, and I see that one a lot too. Um, that one's a pet peeve of mine, but I want to hear your perspective on this and um, what what a better way to tackle that is. So when when a customer, you know, it, this is this is a a hard one to hear. You're a customer success manager. The customer says, "Hey, we're not going to renew because uh, you know we had budget cuts or we can't spend as much in our department on software." I mean, what what the customer is really saying is the product didn't add enough value to ju justify yeah. the price. Because I guarantee you, there are other products that they didn't cut, <laughs> but they yeah. did cut yours. Uh, it could be that they would have kept the product at half the price, you know, who knows? But I think yeah. in, in order to really understand this one, the CSM needs to ask some questions or do some digger, some deeper dives into what happened in, in the overall yeah. relationship and ask questions like, you know, how would the customer have rated the quality of the experience at each of their touch points in their, in their journey? So are there, are there weaknesses in the customer journey that made it difficult for them to justify uh, renewing the product, or maybe were there um, competitive pressures in the market? For example, was there a competitor that offered the same, um, you know, the same feature set for Perhaps. a lower price? Yeah. Uh, or did they offer more features for the same price? Um, or maybe was is there some kind of brand impact? Like maybe another brand is considered more safe or stable or interesting or more of a thought leader. So you want to understand like what what kind of competitive pressure is happening in the marketplace, and did that cause the customer to turn? The, the other you know the other important question to ask is, 
if the customer isn't going to use your product, what's the alternative? Right. So what are they going to do instead? Um, and in, the, in some cases, it's they're not they're not going with the competitor. They've just have found a workaround, and you need to understand what that workaround is, and just how much pain the customer feels around doing that workaround instead of using your product. Um, you could ask the question of, you know, is was the problem that was solved, and this is kind of related, was the problem mm -hmm. solved by the product severe in the minds of the customer? Mm -hmm. uh, and then lastly, you know. Uh, it was the price was the price just too high relative to the severity of the problem being solved? So if the customer says, you know, on a scale of one to ten, the problem, you know, the problem that was being solved was a three out of ten. Well, maybe they'd be willing to spend, you know, a third of the amount that you're actually charging in order to continue solving that problem. Yeah. So I think those those are some of the ways that you can start to understand what budget loss really means. But certainly, budget loss as a category is is irrelevant. Uh, it does nothing yeah. to help the company improve. It doesn't help the the company think differently about their pricing uh, uh, and how they go to market with their with their product. I'm curious. I'm curious what your if it's a pet peeve of yours. You probably have thought about this a lot. I'm curious. Oh yeah. So I my background is in sales too, and I think this is a this is a common objection that comes up both in sales and in customer success. And true. I think the um, the the thing that's true is if you're an executive and you can relate to this as an exec, you can find budget somewhere for something that you think is valuable. Um, you can move your money around. You can always find some money somewhere if you think that the thing you want to buy is valuable enough. So it kind of takes it really off the table. And what it means is if, if they say lack of budget, it means they're masking the real reason, I think. And the real reason is something like they don't see enough value in what it is you're bringing to the table for all of the reasons you just mentioned. You know, maybe the price is too high for what it does. Maybe, you know, they aren't getting enough out of it, but it's not the budget that's the problem. It's the underlying pieces that are it's, the problem. Yeah. So yeah, I love it's your take value on received. That. Yeah, yeah and, it's and, about value. Yeah, and, and I think uh, if with a deeper understanding of, of the questions that we just talked about, you know, the success leader can, uh, can advocate for changes in feature set or price, right, with the, mm -hmm. with the product marketing team. Uh, they can offer up some suggestions to the maybe to the sales leader about what which prospects are you know find the product more valuable which products find the the, the product less valuable so that they're mm -hmm. they spend more of their prospecting time on on higher value customers um, and then you know maybe they can advocate with the product team on different parts of the product experience whether it's on the website or in app where maybe the the customer journey is breaking down where the customer doesn't feel like they're getting enough value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I love your suggestions on this one. And I think, again, it's like take that mask of I don't have a budget away and dig down into what the real problem is. Right. And then solve Why? the real problem. Right. Why isn't the customer getting value? Yeah. OK, another one um, you mentioned was that the champion left the company. Um, that's another one that really bugs me because there are a number of things that I think you can do proactively to ensure that's never an issue. Um, there's always a backup person that you can be talking to. Um, what's your take on that? So, uh, so very similar perspective. It, uh, yeah. I feel like most companies believe that this one is out of their control. Uh -huh. And I disagree that it's out of their control. Uh -huh. um, and I think that the typical playbook that is implemented is insufficient. So a typical playbook yeah. includes um, up-leveling your champion, right? You hear that all the time. You know, mm -hmm. find find a champion with a better title. 
um, or add more champ, you know, get more champions. So increase the breadth of the champions, um, or uh, try to make an executive sponsor connection. So some maybe the CEO of your company connects to the, you know, the VP of sales, for example, at the other company. And the the, pr the problem is one, it's very infrequent that this program is ever rolled out with any kind of rigor in the first place. Mm -hmm. Almost no data is tracked about your your champions, and the result is you know, companies continue to be surprised by champion churn. But I think, you know, one of the ways that success leaders can provide a little bit more structure and, and you know, a lot of times CSMs, you know, I mean, it, uh, especially uh, S, uh, CSMs in the SMB and mid-market segment, mm -hmm. you know, they tend to be earlier in their careers. Maybe they've been yep. working for five to eight years. Um, they might not have as much exposure to how businesses are run. So it's important to provide some additional structure around how businesses actually run and mm -hmm. what, what it looks like to have a successful champion strategy. And so I think the things that are worth tracking for a success leader are things like, well, obviously, what's the authority of the champions? So are they an individual contributor, a manager, a director, or an executive? Mm -hmm. um, what, is, what is their role in the buying process? So are they a user of the product? Are they an influencer? Are they a budget holder? Maybe they're a combination of those three. Mm -hmm. um, what's the strength of the influence of the champions work group? So some, as we know, some companies, some work groups have a lot more influence and sway mm -hmm. than others. So for example, if you go to Google, um, you know, engineers, individual engineers have massive influence. Yeah. Uh, you go to other companies and engineers have zero influence. So it's important yeah. to know what the strength of the influence of the champion work group is. And then um, uh, also an understanding, and you can get this in, in the onboarding process, an, under, an understanding of the customer's um, expected org structure in the foreseeable future. And you might want to check in on that a couple times during the relationship. But the, the underlying thing that you're getting at here is, um, will your champion uh, get a new boss <laughs> sometime in the yeah. near future. And that could mean that the company is acquired or they, their work group moves under a different executive or a new executive is hired. Um, all of those things can really mess with uh, the relationship with your champion and the level of authority that your champion has. So I think those, I think having an understanding of a combination of those three things allows the success leader then to develop a playbook that's best for their business, including what happens when you have a low quality champion, uh, maybe a low quality title, uh -huh. uh, maybe you have weak weak role coverage, um, or that your or your champion kind of has a pessimistic outlook on the future of of their work group. And so, you know, one of the I'm just going to give one example playbook here, uh, which is the one two three playbook, which uh, is typically applied to mid market accounts, and in the one two three uh, scenario, what you're saying is um, the success leader is going to ask for one executive sponsor, two champions, mm -hmm. and three power users. Mm -hmm. And that that hierarchy, that triangle, allows you to lose any one of those six people and still be able to recover come renewal time. Yeah, that's one example. I think there's an infinite number of examples that are an infinite number of playbooks you could build, but. I think that initial framework of data helps you decide how and when to react to low quality champion situations and exactly what success looks like. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that that play with us because I think that's a great example of what you can do. And I, I think the other thing that just kills me on this one is 
teams seem to be surprised when this happens. And in every industry that we work with, um, this is very, very common to lose a champion. It happens all the time in all industries. And so it blows me away that this is treated like an exception more than the rule, when in fact it really acts more like the rule. You will lose champions all the time <laughs> in <laughs> all the companies because people move around and, you know, industries are usually fairly small if you're working within a single niche. And so, you know, for for any industry, there's going to be movement and you have to plan for it. Yeah. So so my uh, my general contractor recently said, hey, I'm going to pour some concrete for you and I can promise two things. One, the concrete's going to crack and two, <laughs> no one's going to steal it. And, and and I think we're saying the same thing about yep. <laughs> uh, about customer success. I mean, number one, you're going to have some people that love your product and some people that hate your product, and yep. guaranteed that your champion's going to leave the company. They will. And they, it's just it, it's like a law of nature. It's going to happen, and you just need to be able to to have a playbook in place to minimize the risk to the account when that happens. Yeah, yeah. So don't assume it's the exception. It's the rule. It so, is the rule. Yeah. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Right now in the spring of 2020, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. I hope that those of you who are listening have a safe place to stay and that your friends and family are healthy. At the Success League, we're sheltering in place and finding new ways to work remotely with our customers. I know that many of you are doing the same, and I wanted to share a few free resources with all of you. First, we have almost five years of weekly customer success articles in our blog archive. If you need some short but powerful things to read, check out the blog page on our website, thesuccessleague.io. Second, we started an online customer success book club. This quarter, we're reading What Customers Crave by Nicholas Webb. If you're interested in joining the club, please reach out to me at Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, at thesuccessleague.io. Finally, the Success League partnered with Strike Deck to provide exercises for each chapter in their free ebook, A Beginner's Guide to Customer Success. If you're looking to enrich your knowledge of our field or grow skills across your team, this book is a great place to start, and you can find it on the resources page on strikedeck.com. I hope that all of you stay safe and healthy during this pandemic and that you are able to make the most of your stay-at-home time by growing your family relationships and building your career and customer success. I also want to mention Strike Deck's new Customer 360 template. This free download is the best way to figure out if you're ready for a customer success tool. It is an automated spreadsheet that will help you keep track of all your current customers, generating an individual health score for each one. Quick reports can be easily developed through the Analytics tab, and tasks can be tracked on the Task Manager. If you're looking for a quick, simple to use, yet robust solution for your CS needs, StrikeDeck's Customer 360 template is the tool for you. Download your copy today at strikedeck.com. And now back to our interview. So another reason that you listed, and I often see this as well, is the product was oversold. So basically it means the sales team sold some air. Uh, why is this one problematic for you and what would you recommend instead? Well, I want to I want to empathize with customers first of all that if you just bought a product mm -hmm. and you talk to your CSM for the first time and you realize that what you got is not at all what you thought you paid for, that is a massive breach breach of trust. Mm 
Yeah. And it's very difficult to recover from that. Sometimes you can't ever recover. So I want to empathize for a second and say that whatever the customer feels in this situation is correct. Um, and their feelings matter a lot. And it's important to understand how the company got to that point. It is rarely the sales. It's rarely just simple enough to say the sales team oversold the product because there's so many different factors that go into the outcome of the customer feeling like they didn't get what they paid for. And I think there are a number of questions that I think the success leader needs to ask to understand what was the true reason uh, that led, you know, what was the true underlying reason that led to this, this feeling of being oversold. And I'll give you a couple of examples of questions that you might want to ask. For example, what time of the quarter was the deal closed? So are we finding are we finding that you know in the last week of the quarter, reps in order they're under so much pressure from their sales team that they start to uh, to over over promise uh, features. Mm-hmm. Um, look at you know look at the rep you know mm-hmm. how is the rep when they close the deal how are they performing relative to quota? So is there something in place where reps who aren't performing well relative to quota? Or are performing well? Who knows? But what's is? Are there any trends of reps as they are far or close to their quota? Um, in which in which industry is the customer? So are customers in finance, for example, more likely to expect X, Y, or Z features compared to customers who might be in consumer goods or in retail? Um, another question to ask was. Uh, was there an evaluation or a trial period offered for the product? And how was the product used in that time? So you might uncover that the use of a, a trial might be maybe not very effective because it's self-service, whereas a proof of concept might be more effective in setting expectations. So understanding what the uh, what the usage or, or lack of usage uh, before the buying uh, event happened, how did that mm-hmm. impact, impact the customer's feeling of expectations being met? Um, you can look at what spiffs or incentives were offered to the sales team at the time of closing. Mm-hmm. So, are there certain spiffs that you know that lead to the sales team trying to uh, overpromise what the product will do? And and again, this is a non-comprehensive list. But the last one uh, that I'll mention today is: um, were any competitors mentioned in the sales cycle? So, mm-hmm. are there competitors that you know? Yeah, are there competitors that you know are putting feature pressure on you? And the result is the sales team feels like they have to overpromise in order to get a deal done uh, against a specific uh, competitor in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I think in order, so it's not, so again, it's not good enough to say that the sales team oversold the product. There are so many different factors that go into this uh, this understanding of what led to the overse- what led to the overselling and what exactly was oversold. And I think a deeper understanding and, and asking of these questions will lead to um, re- real actionable um, outcomes uh, mm-hmm. when you produce your closed lost report or your churn report uh, every quarter. Yeah, we. I have a good example of this. We had this happening, um, what we called early churn in one of the companies where I led the customer success team. So customers would churn, you know, within months of signing up. And we started really digging into that and um, looking at, you know, which sales reps was it, which sales reps deals were churning the most. Um, We looked at, you know, how old the customers were when they churned. We looked at what they thought they had bought versus what they thought they were, you know, what they actually bought. Um, And what we found was that for us, it was, it was easy to identify once we started looking at all of those factors, 
that our newest sales reps that had kind of been hired together in a batch were the ones that were producing the most early churn. And we were then able to zero in on it being a training issue and get them trained as a group so that they could start producing better deals. And so, you know, the more you can kind of, I think, identify the the root causes of it, the more you can get in and just really quickly fix it. And we were able to do that with our ours. That's that's an awesome example. You know, an example for us at user testing was, especially in the early days, there was one uh, sales group that was consistent, like their their churn. Uh, and again, it, it takes a year to start under, understanding. For us, it took a year before we understand churn, yeah. understood what the ch- actual churn rates were. But when we, when we went back and looked at the data, we realized that um, deals that were sold in the last three days of the quarter had <laughs> astronomically higher churn rates. Yeah. And what was happening was uh, certain reps were going in and as part of the statement of work process, they were adding extra features and service hours as part of the contract. And then when the customer success team onboarded them, um, the, those features weren't communicated properly. And so oh. the customer the customer ended up not getting all the features that they thought they had signed up for. And the CSM didn't realize that there was over uh, miscommunication that was happening in the sales process. So um, oh. anyway, I think we both have examples of, yeah. you know, sales overselling is not a sufficient reason for churn. We could say, you know, uh, something like we need a better deal desk process. And this is what we did. We need a much more thorough deal desk process and, and deal approval process at the event, at the end of every quarter to make sure that there isn't any uh, slippage of features or uh, professional services. Yeah. Yeah. So just go that layer deeper and I think you can figure out how to solve the problem then. Sounds like. Agreed. Yeah. So you're the last one on your list is poor onboarding. And to me, that seems kind of like a reasonable churn reason to have on your list. Why do you disagree and how would you tackle it instead? Well, okay. So it, it might be too extreme to say that it's a bad reason. I mean, okay. in some cases, <laughs> in some cases, a poor onboarding is a bad reason. Okay. Um, but let, let me, uh, what I'll share is that, um, you know, in my opinion, onboarding is the process of asking a human to do the work that the product is supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. So bad onboarding just means, really means bad product. Um, so if we can kind of start by saying, okay, the product needs to improve so it's easier to use, more simple, more intuitive, fine. Okay, so we accept that the product needs to be improved. It's easier for new people to get onboarded without the help of a human being, fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we accept that, um, then what are some things that lead to poor onboarding? Um, what are some of the factors of poor onboarding? And I think there's a lot. I mean, it could be, that it's uh, the time to value is too long. It could be that the the history of the conversation with the AE is not transferred to the CSM. So the customer has to say mm-hmm. everything twice. Maybe that's part of the bad onboarding experience. Maybe it's uh, the customer goals aren't properly documented as part of onboarding and the CSM isn't good at following up on those goals over the course of the relationship. Uh, maybe, the tr- maybe there's insufficient, tr- insufficient training. Maybe uh, key stakeholders uh, aren't asked to attend the training. And so the account doesn't get the kind of early engagement that you were expecting. Um, maybe self-help options aren't available. There isn't a help desk or there isn't a self-help uh, onboarding for new users. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the CSMs are focused on feature blasting rather than uh, understanding and trying to understand, uh, trying to solve the customer's problems. Um, it could even be that, you know, there's uncoordinated, uncoordinated communication between success professional services and support. So there's no, there's not a good kind of quarterback process in place. And so I think any of those 
could be underlying reasons why the customer feels like onboarding was not sufficient. Um, and so I, the, the reason why I just say, you know, poor onboarding is not a good churn reason is I think in the same reason, for the same reason that we went deeper in all the other product in all the other churn reason categories, I think this, the same thing can happen here for poor onboarding as a category. If you can go one level deeper, you can have a real true understanding of what led to the bat, the poor onboarding and take actionable steps this quarter campaigns this mm -hmm. quarter to improve the quality of the experience and then measure it and make sure that on the other side, within yeah. a month or two, you've made the improvements that, uh, that you're hoping to see in the customer's um, experience. I love it. These are great suggestions. Um, I am guessing that lots of people who are listening to this podcast right now are thinking, hmm, they just listed all of my churn reasons. <laughs> so um, what would you recommend that somebody does if that's the situation? Well, so let's go back to the original uh, framework for how to think about mm -hmm. churn. And this, this is how we think about it. And this is how we'd recommend others to think about it too. Okay. So most companies, so level one is just unstructured customer feedback. You know, you got, mm -hmm. you have one-off examples and anecdotes that you share with your team about why customers are churning. Then you take it to level two, which is you summarize the customer feedback and usage data. So you come mm -hmm. up with categories, churn reasons as categories. And I think most companies end up here mm -hmm. in terms of their understanding of churn. I think the next level is to come up with a comprehensive renewal framework with early and lagging churn risk indicators. And so what that means is uh, going through and, and looking over a period of time, not just one quarter, but looking over the course of an entire year, what are some of the uh, early indicators of churn? So this mm -hmm. could be, you know, some of the questions that we asked about, you know, does your uh, champion uh, have the appropriate level of authority and has it mm -hmm. changed? Um, are there missing features? According to, according to the customer, are there missing features in your platform? It could be that the, the customer doesn't feel like the product is solving a severe and ongoing problem. Um, it could be that there are competitors in the space putting pricing pressure on your product. Mm -hmm. I think those are all potential very early indicators of churn risk. And so the, the renewal framework is where you, where you come up with a list of maybe, you know, at least 10, but it could be 10 to 20 early indicators of risk. Some of those will be quantitative. A lot of them, frankly, will be qualitative. Mm -hmm. And then once you have that framework in place, you can move to the next level of maturity, which is coming up with high, medium, and low risk scenarios for each early churn risk indicator. So what does it mean when there is uh, a high risk competitor in place versus a low risk competitor in place? and what and and how would the company react to each of those scenarios mm -hmm. so that would be my suggestion is just you know it, it takes time to go through this process but go through step number you know level three build a comprehensive renewal framework level four come up with scenarios for each of those uh, early uh, early and lagging churn risk indicators and then the final level is see if you can come out with see if, if you can come up with automated tasks and alerts for your CSMs and managers to react to each of the scenarios uh, that you that you developed as part of the level four um, the kind of mm -hmm. level up of churn risk. Cool. I love that. It's a very structured way to think about it. Um, and then, you know, teach your team how to use that. Right. And ideally, ideally, 
you know, we, that's why the word automated is so important. Yeah. <laughs> make sure make sure that the tasks that you are are sending to your CSMs are sent in an automated way, so they aren't yeah. having to learn a whole new system. They're just offered up tasks that they should be doing today to reduce risk in their portfolio. Got it. Okay, last question. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success and why? Biggest? So we, we've recently interviewed a bunch of, uh, you know, about a dozen chief customer officers. And it seems like the biggest trend in the market right now is that there's a, a movement towards customer success leaders wanting to come up with frameworks for how a successful customer, how a successful customer success team runs. And the way that the, the, the way that um, it's generally described to me is that, you know, success leaders look at their counterpart in sales and see how well developed their framework frameworks are. So they have, you know, an SDR team and an AE team, and there are, you know, in their database, they have this concept of leads. And then in mm -hmm. Salesforce, they have this concept of accounts and contacts, and they have stages for deals. And they have a, uh, you know, a sales solutions architect or sales engineering team that is, uh, there's a very clear place when those people plug in to the organization. And mm -hmm. success leaders, I think, are longing for a framework for customer success that can be applied to any organization, doesn't matter what kind of company you come from. And yes, the maybe the individual uh, data items or stages in your framework are different, but the, the framework itself is the same, it's consistent and it's repeatable as you move from company to company. And I think most success leaders feel like the industry is, is mature enough now where we can start to, where they can start to develop uh, this framework um, and make it uh, something that can be replicated um, across, across companies. Yeah, I mean, I think have, having a background in sales, it's very nice as a sales leader to be able to come in and just apply a framework that you know will work because it's been tested over decades and decades and decades. And um, I think that's the decades and decades and decades are what we're missing a little bit right yeah. now in, in customer success. And it, it does put you in a tougher spot because there aren't the same kinds of industry benchmarks that help you prove the value of your team like there is in sales. And um, I, I can see a real desire for that too. Um, I do think there's some additional complexity um, in terms of, you know, the product itself that can drive some of those differences from company to company. So I think that frameworks when they are built out will be a little more complex than those for a sales team. Um, but I think you're right. I like that. Well, you know, one, one success leader, and I don't think I have her permission to share this, so I won't share her name, but her, okay. <laughs> you know, the way, the way that she, uh, the way that she described it was, you know, there would be, you know, part of this framework, for example, would be a journey map. So every yeah. success leader would start by developing a journey map. That journey map mm -hmm. would plug to plug into a renewal framework, mm -hmm. um, which would have kind of three or four different stages in it. That would mm -hmm. be mapped to a customer database that automatically is tracking and managing customer usage data, uh, health score, um, and uh, and that would be tied to uh, a database, which is automatically triggering events for the CSMs and uh, heads ups, you know, uh, uh, well integrated with the professional services professional services team. So she was thinking more like there would be, you know, three or four core mm -hmm. uh, framework things that were would be expected to be put in place for each customer success leader. The details, I agree, and I think she would agree with you. 
would be more complex than what mm -hmm. you get in a sales system. But the core, the core structure, you you know, when you came into every 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 new company that you came into, you would know exactly what four or five things you need to put in yeah. place. Yeah. How close do you think we are to that as a field right now, in your opinion? Um, I'd like to say that we're close, but it feels like we're still another decade away from that. And yeah. You know, the thing is customer success, you know, the name customer success is new, but the the discipline of account management has been around for uh, 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, that, the idea of retaining customers yeah. is not new to the world. And so uh, maybe we can shortcut that cut that process as we pull in more kind of old school account management thinking into um, how we do customer success. I like that. It's an interesting way to think about it. Hey, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me on the podcast today. I love your take on how to make sure your churn reasons are very actionable. Um, thanks for sharing the practical approach and the examples with our audience today. And thank you for hosting such an awesome uh, program. Really appreciate it. Hey, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, they can reach me either on LinkedIn just by looking okay. up Chris Hicken, or they can reach me at uh, chris at nuffsaid.com, which is my email address. Got it. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And finally, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.